welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them together in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave them to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at, at them all and, said, and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Amen. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I love the authority that the King James Version gives that particular commandment. Jesus and his disciples knew this commandment from what we know as the book of Exodus in chapter 20. Of course, it wasn't in King James English, it was in Hebrew, just in case you were wondering. The Pharisees also knew that command and took it very very seriously. So much so that they and others before them built a fence around the commandments so that you wouldn't actually accidentally break them. And then they built a a barrier around the fence. And then they defined what each of the barrier and the fence and the commandment meant so that they had 39 categories of forbidden activities on the Sabbath day. Orthodox Jews still today do no work from sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening. Any electricity used in a Jewish home must be on a time switch because operating a switch is work. No work of any kind is done on the Sabbath. And as I was looking on the, uh, on the internet, there's an ongoing conversation whether flushing the loo is work. I think the work's done prior to that, but that's just me. Keeping the Sabbath holy is a very 
uh, strong part of the, the Jewish religion. In Jesus' time, keeping to the letter of the law was vitally important for the religious Jew, for to break the law was to become unclean. Luke specifically writes about these two occasions on the Sabbath, you might have noticed. When I think of the Sabbath, my mind goes straight to worship and relationships. And we'll pick those up in just a little while. But I want to put these stories in context because it's helpful for us to understand what comes immediately before and immediately after these two stories about the Sabbath or things that happened on the Sabbath. Um, before that, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls his first disciples and they go on a miraculous fishing expedition and Matt, Matt preached on that last week. And then in the section between what Matt finished and where we started today, Jesus heals a man with leprosy, forgives and heals a paralysed man, calls a tax collector, eats with sinners and then responds to questions about fasting by talking about bridegrooms and, and old wine and new wine and wineskins. In that account given by Luke, Jesus has demonstrated clearly who he is. He has demonstrated that he is Lord. So how do those around him respond? Well, many hesitated. And Jesus recognised the natural hesitation of people to try the new. So the illustration of the new wine just prior to this section, he noted that those who have been, who've been drinking the old wine will hesitate uh, to turn to the new. The old is good, they say, but after a time, old wine turns sour. And when it's time for the new, Jesus says, even the wineskins, which served as bottles, must be fresh and new. Jesus had come to bring the new and people must choose him or they would find the old turning sour and worthless. Others criticised. The leaders particularly tried to find fault with Jesus. And that brings us to the two Sabbath stories that we heard today. In the Hebrew Torah, the fifth book, Devarin, is known by us as Deuteronomy, which literally means second law. It is the recapitulation of the Ten Commandments and much of the Mosaic law. It was recorded as Israel was about to enter the promised land after all that wandering. Deuteronomy 23 verses 24 and 25 states, When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, but you must not carry any away in a basket. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. The law permitted the plucking of the grain while walking through a field, but the Pharisees prohibited such work on the Sabbath because they said any type of harvesting constituted work. Now, I love the way that Jesus responded to their criticism. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 3, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Fancy asking the Pharisees if they'd ever read the scriptures. 
These men were fighters for the law. They knew everything about the law. These men boasted about their knowledge in the scriptures. These men could tell you how many letters there were in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Torah. They could tell you where the middle letter was as they were so very careful about every yod and tittle. Yod being the smallest letter in the Hebrew language and the tittle being the little stroke or dot that's put above uh, indicating an omitted letter in a word. Of course they had read the story of David eating the consecrated bread as recorded in 1 Samuel 21. They also knew from Exodus and Leviticus that only priests could eat the old loaves of bread when they were replaced in the holy place. David was not yet a king. He was certainly not a priest. He had been anointed king as a, as a young man, but he was not yet king and Saul was chasing him and he was running around with a mob and he was hungry. And it was David's hunger, David's need, which qualified him to eat the consecrated bread. The Pharisees, with their 39 categories of forbidden Sabbath activities, thought they were Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus was concerned about the Sabbath meeting human needs, not their man-made traditions. And Luke 6 and verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They were neither amused nor impressed. The atmosphere in the second Sabbath incident is somewhat tense. The Pharisees and religious leaders are itching for a fight and they're looking for evidence so that they could charge Jesus with disobedience to the law. So Jesus confronts the issue openly, calls the man with the shriveled hand to come forward and, and asking all who were present about the real purpose of the Sabbath. Jesus' question was rhetorical, of course. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day for, to save lives or to destroy it? I love the New Living Translation. He looked around at them one by one. I can just imagine the caring yet piercing eyes of Jesus as he looked into the deep, into the hearts and souls of each one. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And as he did it, he was restored. In his very real action of healing, Jesus demonstrated that doing good on the Sabbath is a positive duty. In other words, the failure to do good on the Sabbath is evil. Luke's account of these two stories demonstrate how Jesus took the Old Testament law and enlarged it. Nowhere does Jesus say that God's word has been superseded by his own teaching, but everywhere he shows that the Jewish teachers have fallen far short of what God had intended. Jesus revealed to all the total hypocrisy and emptiness of all their claims to religious superiority. They were nothing but empty men who loved their own place and price and who were untouched by the hurts of those around them. 
Jesus' actions revealed their hearts to others and they hated him for it. And again, the New Living Translation, Luke 6, 11, at this the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. The lines were being drawn, folks. The crowds still hesitated. The leaders become hardened in their hatred and rejection. And what did Jesus do after these two Sabbath accounts? Let me read to you Luke 6 and verse 12. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Some hesitated, some hated. Jesus prayed and then he chose the 12 who would become his closest disciples. Now, after that somewhat long introduction, I want to expand a little on Shabbat or Sabbath as we have come to understand it. To my knowledge, God has never abolished the command to keep the Sabbath day holy and to refrain from our daily work. Saturday is the seventh day, the Sabbath day, which is kept free from work by strict Jews. But the early Christian church changed the day of rest from the seventh day to the first day, which is called the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the day of resurrection. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus has the right, power and authority to dispense it in any way he pleased. The Lord of the Sabbath has come and with his death and resurrection, he became the fulfilment of our Sabbath rest. The salvation we have in Christ has made the old law of the Sabbath no longer needed or binding. And then in Mark 22, verse 27, the same story, but a little bit different wording. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, he says, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus was attesting to the fact that just as the original Sabbath day was uh, instituted to give us rest from our labours, so he came to provide us rest from labouring to achieve our own salvation by our own works. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can now cease labouring to attain God's favour and we can rest in God's mercy and grace. That is why every Sunday should be Easter Day for us. And so that is why we keep the first day of the week as the new Sabbath. Now, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and so we should delight to be together as God's people. The Lord's Day should be dedicated to the worship of God and and our relationship to God and to each other. Now, I want to take a minor excursion here. You may not know it, but I'm reasonably introverted. I don't mind being on my own and I'm never, ever upset about not being the life of the party. If you are like me, then here is some wisdom for you. Introverts unite separately in your own homes. Or introverts unite occasionally in small groups for limited periods of time. Or introverts unite. We are here, we are uncomfortable, and we want to go home. (laughs) And my favourite, 
Introverts unite. What? There's more than just me? (laughs) Now, I say all of that rubbish because for some of us, gatherings, small or large, are not the place we would naturally choose to be. Certainly not desire to be, and yet gather we do. Why would I bother to gather in a place that is not necessarily a great fit for me? Because, folks, believe it or not, it is not about me. It seems that as we gather to worship, and I refer here for the structured type of worship in a sanctuary or auditorium like we are now, that we gather for three reasons, for duty, for diversion, or for dynamite, which may sound a bit odd, but we'll get to that. First of all, we may come out of duty. We love God and yet somehow we feel that we owe God something. We are, we are God's creatures and we, we owe God homage. We, homage. we come to say, God, I'm here because you're the boss and the judge. If that's you, then perhaps this little story may speak into your understanding. A group of young children were taking a tour of what we might call a traditional church building. After explaining what the nave, the apse, the ambulatory and the sanctuary were, the tour guide was explaining the windows, the meaning of some of the the windows and some of the symbols. One of the children asked about the plaque displayed prominently in the narthex that listed a, a long roster of names. On being told that they were members of the church who died in service, the child asked what seemed the next logical question. Was it the nine o'clock or the eleven o'clock? And please don't take that literally. We may laugh, but we have to admit for the average small child and maybe many grown-ups who attend worship out of duty, many Sunday morning services, though not exactly fatal, can seem rather deadly. For many who come out of duty, the relationship with God is one of fear. It's a bit like the way a worm observes a magpie. One wrong move and I'm doomed. Second, we may come for a pleasant diversion. It's something to do on a Sunday and it's a bit of a habit anyway. The singing's not all bad. And sometimes, occasionally, possibly, maybe, the sermon is interesting. It's a harmless and habitual way to send Sunday morning. The relationship with God here is, is somewhat distant, almost, almost estranged, if you like, kept at, at least impersonal. Or third, worship can be dynamite, which, by the way, is exactly what God has promised us. Dynamite comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is the word used in the second book of Luke, Acts, And as this is Pentecost Sunday, I at least had to mention the birth of the church once. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus promises, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In the two Sabbath stories, we read of this great confrontation, if you like, between Jesus and his radical views of worship and the Pharisees and the scribes with their traditional views. 
Now, it certainly can't be said that the Pharisees and scribes considered worship dull. For, for devout Jews, worship was a serious and sacred treasure. Worship was zealously observed even when they had no temple. So far from being indifferent, the scribes and Pharisees were passionately devoted to maintaining a very precious tradition. A tradition they felt Jesus was somehow undermining and destroying. Jesus went to the heart of this when he questioned the why of worship. Were we created simply to show honour to God on the Sabbath? Do we exist just to satisfy and appease God's ego? Are we here to be expended in some process that God requires? No, not at all. Knowing that the Sabbath was made for us and that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, there is a whole different perspective. Worship is honouring God and demonstrating our response to God's grace. It is something we practice daily and celebrate weekly in gatherings such as this. Worship is a demonstration of our allegiance and a distinct privilege. God has given us one special day in the week when in faith we come together as brothers and sisters, extroverts and introverts and even ambiverts, and Jesus promised to be with us and that there will be dunamis power, power to be healed, power to be changed, power to be convicted, power to be guided, power to be blessed. And as we sung a little earlier, there is no power like the mighty name of Jesus. The relationship to God in this last context is pretty much in line with um, what has been attributed to St. Augustine. Love God and do whatever you please. And please don't miss the rest of his saying, love God, do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The Sabbath is for us. And Jesus, believing that, saw it as a time for God to give good gifts. So if the Sabbath is for us, it is okay for the hungry to eat grain. If the Sabbath is for us, then it is fitting that the sick are healed on that day. The Pharisees were guardians of what used to be. They were archivists and historians, and in so being, they missed the now of God. Jesus was and is, through the Holy Spirit, the now of God. Jesus is the present tense of God. often ponder, I'm, I'm good at pondering, some people would say ponderous, but I often ponder what it is that I do or do not do that causes me to miss the now of God. Am I an archivist, a historian, a Pharisee? Is my, my heart, my, my soul, the metaphorical shriveled hand and then I remember, the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. 
And as I said before, just as the Sabbath was originally instituted to give us a rest from our labours, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can now forever cease labouring to attain favour and rest in God's mercy and grace. And whenever, whenever we rest in God's mercy and grace, we discover the now of God and we respond in praise and worship. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for it is a day for God to give good gifts. It is a day where my withered, shriveled heart and soul are fed and healed. And if I could look at you one by one, it's exactly the same for you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment and you may want to say amen at the end. But here it is, Luke chapter 6, verse 10. I'm imagining the caring yet piercing eyes of Jesus looking around at us one by one, looking deep into our heart and our soul. And then he says, hold out your hand, your heart, your soul. The invitation is out. How will you respond? As the musos and singers return, I'm going to pray this prayer of commitment. God of grace and mercy, I lay my life at your feet and offer you all that I am. May my feet follow your leading. May my mind be renewed with your truth. May my heart be full of your grace. May my words be full of your wisdom. May my mind be full of your truth. May my dreams be full of your vision and my soul full of your peace. I lay my life at your feet and offer you all that I am, for you are indeed a holy God. And the people agreed together and said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.